Amen. Thanks, Ken. Man, good morning. Man, it's so good to see you all here this morning. There's, there's hardly any seats. There are hardly any seats left, at least from my perspective. And man, it's exciting. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we are gearing up for Easter next weekend, as you already heard, Good Friday services, uh, getting us prepared for three services on Sunday. Starting this week, we're going to roll out every chair we've got in the building. And uh, elders, we're already putting back extra rows since we started the service today. We're so excited about what God is doing in and through the church here, touching lives, redeeming uh, what has been lost, all for God's glory. And so welcome. If you're a visitor with us, and I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to you, uh, my name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of being the pastor here at the church, uh, serving with a body of elders um, who uh, there are six elders here at the church. You're gonna, we just heard Ken pray. We're going to get, get to hear from him again here in just a minute on the topic of prayer. Um, and if you'll look around you, if you're visiting, you're surrounded by an awesome church family. Uh, this is a church that is on mission. Our four-year-olds are on mission. Um, our elders are on mission. There was an elder in the video hanging sheetrock over his head, um, all for the glory of God and because he loves Jesus. And so I say it all the time. I would go to this church even if I weren't the pastor, and I mean it. So if you're visiting with us, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, one more announcement for you before we get rolling in the sermon. Um, we... Uh, our monthly calendar as a church is, is built on the rhythm of Sundays and Wednesdays. Sunday mornings, obviously, what we're doing now. Wednesday nights are our men's ministry, women's ministry, ministry training. Um, and and occa occasionally throughout the year, we'll get five Wednesdays in a month. When that happens, um, we like to do what we call Christ in culture. And that is spend an evening uh, simply talking about a cultural uh, topic, uh, a hot topic from our current culture from a biblical perspective. And so that's coming up pretty soon uh, on the 5th. Wednesday, Christ and Culture, and this, uh, this particular Christ and Culture, we're going to be talking about race, and specifically racial divisions, racial unities, um, and most importantly, God's perspective on race. Um, what does the Bible have to say? And so that's coming up soon. I want to let you know about that. It'll be happening at 6.30, uh, Christ and Culture on Wednesday night. So, all right, we're ready to get started. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, Matthew chapter 6, as you do so, I just want to remind you on your way out. Um, we have these invitations ready to go for next Sunday, Easter. And so as you are investing, inviting the people in your lives uh, to come join you, especially on Easter, this is just a way to, uh, to, to express that. If you take some, take a bunch, take a bundle of them, and, uh, and use those to invite people um, who are, uh, God has placed in your life, um, family members, coworkers, friends, neighbors. And also, if you weren't here last Sunday, as you walk out the these two double doors on your right and left, there's a chalkboard where these invitations are placed. And uh, we're going to encourage you, if you're praying for somebody specifically to invite to our services, that you go ahead and just write down uh, in code. Don't put their first, last name and address down. But maybe it's, I'm praying for mom, or I'm, I'm praying for my neighbor, or I'm praying for a coworker, or first name. I'm praying, praying for Bob, or, you know, in some way, maybe you want to put the initials down. Just a tangible expression of how you are living the mission in your everyday life here as a church. And so I wanted to bring your attention to that as well. And be sure you grab some of these invitations. All right, Matthew chapter 6, we'll get started here in just a second. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of prayer this morning, okay? We're in a sermon series walking through what it means to be a church on mission. It's one thing to, to use that as a catchy phrase and to put it on banners and signs and, and get up here and say we're a church on mission. It's a totally different thing altogether to live that out, to give up spring breaks or weekends or, right, or, or your lunchtime to, to actually live the mission. And so we're spending an entire sermon series walking through what that looks like from a biblical perspective to be a church on mission. Now, the thing is, when we typically think about being on mission, we first 
typically default to doing, right? That sounds like doing, a lot of doing. I'm going to be on mission. I'm going to be doing things. And we, we oftentimes forget that before we can do in Christ, we first have to be in Christ. One way that I was thinking about it this morning, if mission is the arrow coming off the bow headed forward into the world, then what is the drawing back of that arrow? And so we started our series in worship, pressing into the heart of God. Today we're going to be talking about prayer, the thing that draws us close to the heart of the Father, that when we head out living on mission, we're doing so empowered by the Holy Spirit, in tune with the will of the Father, carrying out the compassion and the passion of Jesus as we engage the world around us. So today we're going to be talking about prayer. And, uh, and just one little uh, side note, we're not going to cover the topic comprehensively, okay? Just, if, you know, if you want to come up afterwards, pastor, you missed this, you missed that, I'm just tell you up front, I'm going to miss a bunch. But our plan today is to look at a biblical framework that then informs the way we pray, right, in accordance with the will of God, whether it's our personal prayer life, whether it's stopping in a moment while you're in line praying for somebody in front of you or behind you, or maybe you're stuck in traffic, or maybe it's in a setting like this where we're all together or you're in a community group. The framework that Jesus gives us, right, to, to set us up to pray well. Now, we're going to start in Matthew 6, but I'm going to read some verses from Luke 11 to get us uh, in the mindset of what Jesus is doing as he teaches us to pray. So in Luke 11, Luke captures the Lord's Prayer this way. It begins in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. Now, so we don't know fully everything that's going on in this particular uh, context, but we know this. Jesus has been praying to the Father. And his disciples are gathered around him. We don't know if they overheard him praying and they were impressed. They're saying, Jesus, teach us to pray like that. But we do know this. Jesus' disciples are coming to him saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you pray. And so we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. And I think more often than not, we take the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we set it aside as kind of the, in the elementary prayer list, right? It's, it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it sits right next to, now I lay me down to sleep, right? And with this meal to us be blessed. And we, and we tend to chalk it up as a, as a JV prayer, right? The elementary prayer. Because what we're learning from Luke's account is this. This isn't a JV prayer at all. Jesus' disciple, his varsity team is coming to him saying, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Varsity <laughs> prayer here, Right? And so as we get into Matthew 6, we need to have that in mind as Jesus teaches his disciples and through their, this example, teaches us how to pray. Matthew 6, verse 7. Matthew 6, verse 7. When you pray, this is Jesus' response, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, before he teaches us how to pray, he warns us on what not to do. And probably most of us have been guilty of this. You hear somebody else pray, and you're so impressed, and not only are you impressed, you're a little bit intimidated. Well, I don't know if I ever want to pray. I can't pray like that. I don't even know what those words were. I can't even spell sanctification, whatever he just said. And, and so, right? And so not only are you impressed, you're a little bit intimidated by how to pray. I'm finding that in our current day, um, so many conversations with adults that, that come to me and say, Jason, I'd like to pray out loud, but I've never done it. 
And there's an intimidation that can, that can be there, right? And, and oftentimes that intimidation comes from what? From hearing others do it. You think, gosh, I can't pray like that, so I'm just not going to pray. I remember uh, when I was a teenager, the first time I was asked to pray out loud, man, my palms were sweaty. And I was trying to think of all the big Jesus words I could think of and, 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 and making sure all my, 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 my thous were there and my these and my arts. And yeah, and, and, and yeah, I was just so pressured to get it just right, right? So I was intimidated and completely missed the heart of what was going on. And Jesus starts before he gives us a framework on prayer. He says, let me just say this. Let me just put your mind at ease. Don't think that your prayers are more powerful by praying the big words, the big churchy words, the long prayers. Don't pray like the hypocrites do. They think God hears them, right, because of their poetic, lengthy, boring prayers. And then he shifts and begins to get ready to tell us how to pray. Verse 8. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Which brings up an interesting point about prayer, doesn't it? There's so many questions we have about prayer. What happens when we pray? What happens when we pray? Do we change the mind of God? Do we motivate an unmotivated God? Is God just sitting there going, what in the world am I going to do about that situation? Oh, a prayer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me see what you You know what? That's a great idea. Thank you for that information. Now I know what to do. Is God, maybe he's just disengaged, doesn't care, but he hears you pray. And if you're earnest enough and if you cry enough and if you really, really mean it, you move the heart to God to go, okay, fine. I was really kind of comfortable where I was, but fine. I'll fix this situation for you. What happens when we pray? And Jesus says, before he even gives us instruction, God the Father knows what you need even before you ask him. So some might say, well, then why pray? Why pray? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So me praying, right, isn't about me informing God on a situation he was unaware of, is it? Right? Me praying is is not about giving God a solution to a problem that he couldn't figure out. He knows what we need before we ask him. Some beautiful examples of the heart of God moving here on earth, carrying out his will on earth through the prayers of his people. I want to give you a few examples. In Ezekiel, we get God uh, sharing his desire to, to grow the people of God, the people of Israel, into an enormous flock. That's his will and his desire. But look at what he says in Ezekiel 36, 7. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. So God's will was what? To increase the people of God like a flock, right? To bless Israel and expand and grow them. But do you see his desire to do that through what? Through prayer, through asking. Think of another example from Genesis 20, the story of Abraham and Sarah. I don't know if you've ever tracked the story of Abraham and Sarah from Genesis 12 on forward, but twice, Abraham, Father Abraham, right? This faithful man of God, twice he sells his wife out as his sister because he's scared. Twice. The second time it, it happens, uh, it's, it happens in uh, Genesis 20. And, uh, and so in Genesis 20, we have the king of Gerar, which is Abimelech. He has, he has taken captive Sarah because Abraham said, oh, no, no, that's not my wife. That's my sister. That's my sister. Yeah, I don't want you killing me. She is pretty. Yeah, that's my sister. So Abimelech takes her. And then God speaks to Abimelech in Genesis 20. Look at what God says in 20, verse, the first part of verse 7. 
He's speaking to Abimelech. He says, Abimelech, return the man's wife. Well, that's a newsflash. I thought she was his sister. Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you will live. So what's God's will in this situation? For Abimelech to let Sarah go back to Abraham because God's got this amazing plan of salvation unfolding throughout the whole Old Testament coming through Abraham and Sarah. This amazing plan and will of God is unfolding. He speaks to Abimelech, says, you need to give her back to him. I've got plans for them. And then he has a second part of his will that you might live. I'm gonna let you walk away from this thing. But how does he desire to do that? Let Sarah go back to Abraham, that Abraham would pray for you, and as a result, I'm going to let you live. You see the desire and the will of God being carried out here on earth, right, through the prayers of his people. We looked at one last week from Matthew chapter 9, Jesus himself calling us as believers to pray. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So we looked at that last week, and we also looked at Matthew 16, just seven chapters later, where Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a prevailing church here on earth. I'm going to do that. It's not up for grabs. That's what I'm going to do. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to do it, and he's speaking to his disciples, through you. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, what you Bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Here's what I'm going to do through you. Now, what an interesting thing Jesus is saying here in Matthew 9. The harvest is plentiful, right? He's walking around seeing crowds of people. He describes them with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wants to bring them into his kingdom. And what does he tell his disciples to do? Pray for workers. How interesting, right? Carrying out his desire and will through the prayers of his people. There's a quote from a, from a book called We Are Not Professionals. It's a John Piper book that he wrote for pastors. And in one particular chapter is on prayer. I want to read you a quote from uh, this, this book. Piper says this. How astonishing is it that God wills to do his work through people? It should blow us away. Divine, glorious, holy, perfect work. That's the kind of work God does. Okay, just keep that in mind through people who are not, right? In our own right, holy, perfect. So how astonishing is, it, is that? But then he goes on to say this, it's doubly astonishing that he ordains to fulfill his plans by being asked to do so by us. God loves to bless his people, but even more, he loves to do it in answer to prayer. So think about this. I was comparing what I learned this week from God's word to my own relationship with my, with my boys. And, you know, when we wake up in the morning, my boys' needs are on my mind. They are. I mean, unless it's a rare occasion and I forget. We've only left one of our sons at home once, okay? Um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm well aware of their needs, right? And, and more than they are. You need to brush your teeth. Well, I don't feel like I need to brush my teeth. Yeah, but you need to brush your teeth. And you need to put clothes on. Like, I know your PJs feel cool to you, but it's not going to work at school today. You need to put some clothes on. I'm thinking about their meals. I'm thinking about breakfast, getting breakfast ready. Lunch is packed. What are we going to do for dinner? All of their needs, they don't ever have to ask for anything. And I promise you, they're going to live. Right? We're going to take care of them. But what happens when they come to me and say, Daddy, I'm hungry. 
Now, just think about it for a minute, because on one hand, we get, we get a little irritated when we hear that, right? Right? Hi, hungry. I'm dad. Nice to meet you. But on the other hand, how glorious it is that they're coming and saying, I'm hungry, and you're the one who meets that need in my life. And so there's something incredibly joyous knowing I'm going to meet their needs anyway, right? But as they come and they ask, Dad, can you fix this? Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, I have a question about the universe or about God. And it's doubly joyful, right, to get to fulfill that and take care of their needs through them asking. And so God says, hey, I know what you need before you ask, but here's the thing. I want you to come ask. I want to hear from you. And then Jesus begins to teach us, how to pray. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Again, this is not junior varsity, elementary school prayer. This is varsity prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I would be willing to bet that outside of this verse of Scripture, you probably don't use the word hallowed. If you do, props to you. But I don't use it outside of this Scripture. And so I have to step back and go, okay, I'm, I'm down with saying it. Jesus said say it, but what in the world are we saying? And this rendering of the, of, the, of the Greek word that we translate hallowed is also the same word that we get sanctify, which means set apart or make holy. And so as we start prayer, what Jesus is saying is, is this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, let your name be kept holy. However you respond to what I'm going to ask for, first and foremost, let your name be kept holy. Another way to, uh, to render this would be let your name be set apart. Do what brings glory to your name, not mine, right? Fulfill your will here on earth in a way that, that there's no other boasting. I didn't do this. We didn't do this. You did this. God, set your name apart. And I love this rendering. Our Father who art in heaven, let your name be treated with reverence. So whether I'm up front publicly <laughs> praying or I'm in my prayer closet praying with groaning or just with words that don't even make sense. There is a sense of reverence about who I'm talking to. That we wouldn't go into the presence of God flippantly, haphazardly, taken for granted. I mean, think about it. When you pray, right, according to the Bible, you're connecting with the God of the universe. And however he chooses to respond and will, that's a big deal. I mean, right? My no's are one thing when I say no to my boys. It's a big deal when God of the universe says no. That's a powerful no, right? I mean, that, I'm not going to get around it. Right? I can't go to the other parent and say, hey, well, what do you think? When God of the universe says no, it means no. When God of the universe says wait, it means wait. When God of the universe says yes, that's a big yes. And so Jesus tells us that there's a posture to prayer that's rooted in worship. That as we pray, right, our hearts are in tune with who God is and the majesty of who he is and the great privilege of being able to speak to him. And so you don't have to have fancy words to be reverent. You don't have to be poetic and have lengthy prayers to be reverent. It's a heart attitude first and foremost. Prayer is an act of worship. It is. I love what Ken said earlier. Let's continue to worship in prayer. We have to stop worshiping because we're praying. Prayer, according to Jesus, is rooted in worship. The next thing he says is this, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe one of the hardest parts about what we call the Lord's Prayer 
and patterning our lives to do so. Because what Jesus is saying is this, is ultimately there needs to be a hard attitude of submission here. I know you've got it all figured out, what you want God to do. I know you do. And I know that you've got some, some great answers to your problems, some things that you feel like you need. But at the end of the day, right, there needs to be a recalibration of who's in charge here. Because if I just come to God and say, God, here's what needs to happen, and I never submit to him and say, right, nevertheless, you do what you think is best, then what I'm saying is I'm the authority and you need to submit to me. And think about that. If I just bring what needs to happen and I, and, and I don't ever submit to God as knowing more than me, what I'm ultimately saying is, God, I'm an authority, right, and you need to submit to what I think should happen in this situation with this person. And so Jesus reminds us what? There needs to be a, a submission in your prayers. We see this beautifully displayed in Jesus' own life and ministry. At one of the hardest hours of his earthly ministry, fully God, walking fully in the flesh here on earth. According to the Gospel of Luke, over three times he has told his disciples what he was headed to. Death, even death on a cross. Torture, it was going to be really dark and really difficult and really hard. He even said to them, hey, if you're going to come after me, guess what? Get prepared to carry your own cross. And so he's laid all that out. Now we've moved into Passion Week, which starts on Palm Sunday today. And on Thursday night of Passion Week, he's with his disciples in the upper room sharing the Passover meal, which is where we get communion. He's breaking bread and he's sharing the wine. They sing a hymn and then he goes out into the garden to pray. You remember what he prayed? As he thought about his own captivity and torture and suffering and death, what did he say? God, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. You see that beautiful recalibration of will there. So we come into prayer, right, feeling like we know what's best often, right? What we want, what we want to happen. And that's fine, right? My boys do it all the time. Daddy, here's what I want. Here's what I need. And so, but by the time the conversation ends, there's a recalibration of who the authority is, right, and whose will is going to take place. I love the word uh, recalibration. Uh, because I need to be recalibrated. You know, recalibration, it's kind of a reset. Because here's the thing, you know, in any given moment, my heart is, is, is focused on Jesus. I want his will in my life, the life of my family, the life of this church. But I, I'm prone what? I'm prone to wonder. Yeah, especially when I've been negligent of my personal prayer life, I'm prone to, to drift towards what I think is best. And so I need to hit reset. I need to recalibrate in my prayer life and say, okay, God, I know I just said a whole lot about what I want to happen, but here's the thing. I, more than that, I want what you want. And so I have to recalibrate and let God be the place of authority in my life and find my joy in sweet submission. And, and it's, a, it's a joyous, sweet submission, right? So that we can find joy even in the nose. Right? And so there's two different ways you can approach God. You can, you can approach him, you know, just white, white knuckling it, closed fisted. God, here's my petition. Here's what I want to happen. And God says, can I, can I see that for a minute? No, God, I'm afraid to open my hands because you'll change it. <laughs> here's what I want to happen. See, there's no submission there. But when I genuinely bring my petitions before God, I say, God, here, here it is. Here's the situation. Here's the person. Here's my, 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 my wife who... Yeah, you just need to change her and fix her, right? And then I open my hands. What does God do? He takes it from me and does something better than I could have ever asked for. Starts fixing me. Starts working on me as he recalibrates and retunes my heart. So Jesus reminds us of that 
And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is a recalibration of authority and submission. It is. It's a recalibration. It should be every time your children come to you, right? Just in your responding, you're reminding them who the authority is, right? Who actually knows best in any given situation. Now, the next thing that Jesus mentions in verse 11 is this. Give us this day our daily bread. So what I want to talk about, first of all, is the routine of prayer. And when I use the word routine, I'm not talking about flippant, just going through the motions. I mean a sense of of rhythm to your prayer life that is consistent. And so what Jesus tells us is that we should have daily prayer, right? And not just once a day daily prayer, but this idea of praying, as we learn from the Apostle Paul, without ceasing in, in any given situation or moment. I think one of the things that we indirectly teach in the church, potentially, is this, that, that really prayer is just, is just about the big events. It's about the drama. It's about when things start to really unravel, that's when I pray. And, and oftentimes we approach God that way. God, I don't know what to do here. I've tried to fix it, and I've tried to work on it, and she tried to fix it. We can't fix it. And, and God steps in, right, as he always does as a loving father, provides what we need, and then we high-five him and say to God, I'll see you at the next big event. That's not at all what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about a daily rhythm and routine to your and my prayer life. This would be part of everything that we do. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Ephesians 6.18, Paul reminds us to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Same, Same author in 1 Thessalonians 5 Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We don't even have to wonder what the will of God is. Paul says, you want to know what the will of God is? I'll just lay it out for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This lifestyle of worship and prayer, this rhythm where it's hard to tell where prayers end and prayers begin in your life. Praying without ceasing. Does God care about the small, mundane things in your life? You better believe it. We're praying for food right here. I mean, surely he's got that covered, right? We're praying for the basic substance of life. There isn't any situation in your life that's too small for God to care about. There isn't. We bring those things before God in petition and submission, and then we find joy in knowing that God has done what he desires in that situation. I love, uh, I love Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Um, the, the, the biblical author here is, is talking about praying for two things. Verse 7, two things I ask of you, den- d- deny them to me before, excuse me, deny them not to me before I die. I'm praying for two things here. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's a good thing to pray for. <laughs> God, I'm prone to lie, stretch the truth, say things that are false. Would you take that from me? That's the first thing. Look at the second thing. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What is he saying here? I'm asking for two things. Take falsehood from me and let me be content with what you provide and what you give. Don't give me too much, God, because I know what I'm prone to do when that happens. 
I'm prone to feel like I did that on my own strength and forget you and go, God, God who? But don't give me too little because I know what else I'm prone to do. I'm prone to abandon, right? I'm, 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 I'm prone to compromise. I'm prone to walk away from you and try to do things on my own. Give me only what I need. Give me what I need. How often do those words come up in our prayer lives? God, give me only what I need. We talked about this um, in, uh, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at financial giving and how that works into the kingdom and why we do that. And, and we kind of um, dispelled some false uh, teachings on giving that when we give to God our 10%, he makes us rich. He hasn't promised that. Matter of fact, in Malachi 3, we read it together. He promises this, right? Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Don't, don't deny me. Test me in this. What? And see if I don't open the windows of heaven until there is no more need. See? And we've even talked about from Corinthians, what happens when we get more than what we need? Then what? Then we can become generous people. Right? And so what Jesus is teaching us in our daily prayer, whether you're asking for food or money or job or any given thing, that you say what? Ultimately, Father, give me what I need. Don't give me any more than what I need. I know I'm asking a lot. I know I'm probably praying from a selfish motive. I'm bringing it before you because I trust you. Give me just what I need. And Jesus says it this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayer is a daily pursuit of contentment in God's provisions. It's a daily pursuit of contentment in God's provisions. Verse 12. Jesus continues with this one. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I will uh, sometimes uh, get questioned on this. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, prayed for forgiveness for something, but then just couldn't get away from it. And, and you felt the need to pray again and pray again, and maybe you struggled to even believe that God had forgiven you, and you're not sure why it keeps coming up. I've, I've, I've kind of dealt with that question in counseling situations. What's going on there? Well, on one hand, when we truly pray and ask for forgiveness, God completely forgives, completely. But on the other hand, sometimes there's a struggle to believe it to receive it, to believe that that could actually be true. And so I think that there, there is a reality to something, right, is still on your heart even after you've prayed for forgiveness and it won't go away. I don't think the problem is that God hasn't forgiven you. I think it's the problem is that we are still not yet believing it. It's too good to be true. And so in those moments, I say keep praying, not trying to convince God that he should forgive you. He's already promised to do that. But so what? So that your heart could fully embrace what he's already done. So this is part of our daily routine. God, forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my sin. Not trying to convince God to do that, but what? Trying to convince our own hearts that what he promises is in fact true. And so on a daily basis, we're invited into the channels of God's grace, the riches of his mercy, reminded once again, right? Not of a grace that we take lightly or hold in contempt, but a grace that continues to shape and change us on a daily basis, if for no other reason, right, so that we don't forget the power of the cross. On a daily basis, we pray, God, forgive me of my sins. Not because he hasn't, but because he already has, and we're still striving to believe it. But then look at what he does. Forgive us of our sins as we do what? As we forgive other people who've sinned against us. The Apostle Paul tells us this in Corinthians. He says, you've been reconciled. If you're saved, if you've prayed, Lord Jesus, right, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, save me. 
what, Jesus, what Paul is going to say is that in that moment, Jesus actually reconciles you. He fixes your relationship with God and begins to fix your relationships with others. And then at that same moment, right, he places an identity on you and you become an ambassador for him of grace. So there's no room in the church to say, I've been forgiven, right, but I'm going to think about whether or not I'm going to forgive you. Jury's still out on whether or not you really mean it, right? Peter asked Jesus this question in Matthew 18. Jesus is teaching on forgiveness, reconciliation. Peter's like, well, how many times we got to do this? I'll impress him. How about seven times? And Jesus responds with what? Peter, are you kidding me? I mean, are you, are you kidding me? How many times on a daily basis does God forgive you? Now, he doesn't say that. That's my uh, rendition of it. But you can feel that in the text. Are you kidding me, Peter? Seven times? Like, it's 9 a.m., and you're already way past that. How about 70 times seven, which was an idiom that represented what? There's no end to this, Peter. Surely you don't want there to be an end to the forgiveness God gives you. Then why should there be limits on the forgiveness you extend out as your heart becomes a channel of God's grace? Forgive us of our sins as we forgive others. God, don't just reconcile me, but make me an ambassador, a minister of reconciliation as I forgive others. Prayer is a channel for grace and reconciliation. Prayer is a channel for grace and reconciliation. Again, we want to step into this channel daily. This grace is continuing to shape and change us on a daily basis. Sanctification, that's the process of being changed into the image of Jesus. That's what God fuels that with grace upon grace upon grace in our lives. Not cheap grace, right? Grace that cost the Son of God his life grace. Prayer is a channel for grace and reconciliation. Matthew 6, 13, the end of what Jesus teaches us in this particular text. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I try to pray a version of this in our daily prayers with our family every day before we all go our separate ways. Thinking about um, my boys, thinking about the temptation that's going to come their way, even at age four and eight thinking about the struggles even in my wife's life that are going to bombard her and hit her as she steps into her job, even thinking about my role here as I come in the office and do the things that I'm called to do, knowing that temptation is, is right, as the word of God describes it, it's lingering around every corner. <coughs> Sin is lingering around every corner seeking to devour me, my wife, my boys. So I want to pray with them, and I want them to hear this as a repetition of a daily prayer request. God, protect us from temptation. God, keep us from evil today, right? Another way to say it, help me recognize what's not of you and choose what is. And so what Jesus is teaching us in our prayer life is this, that prayer is also the pursuit of holiness, okay? It's not just me flippantly walking into the presence of God, doing what I want, saying what I want, and walking out. God wants to work on me in those moments. And so in my prayers, I'm praying, God, make me more like Jesus, I just got through asking him to forgive me of my sins. Now I'm saying what? Change me so I don't do it again. Keep me from temptation. Keep me from evil. Prayer is the pursuit of holiness. Pursuit of holiness. All right. I think that last one is almost up there. You get the last one? Prayer is the pursuit of holiness. What I want to do now is I want to invite uh, the head of our prayer ministry up onto the stage to talk a little bit more about prayer. And so would you... Join me in welcoming Ken Forsyth to the stage.
Man, they did way better in this service. Last service, we quit clapping when he was at the back and it was just this awkward silence all the way to the front. Just felt, <laughs> felt really awkward. So um, Ken, thank you for being willing to do this. I, I appreciate your heart for prayer. You lead out in this ministry. And I think for us as a church, um, we all assume that this is a praying church. Somebody prays somewhere, right? Could you give us some insight into how prayer works in terms of ministry here? Just walk us through it all. Okay, and it's quite a bit. Uh, I'd just like to take this opportunity first to thank Jason for his preaching. And uh, y'all can clap to that too. Uh-huh. He really makes the scriptures come alive. He makes it simple. So thank you for that. Yeah. And I thank God for you. So, But I guess I can do it chronologically. Chronologically so that we can kind of see how uh, prayer impacts the church here at, at, at Solid Rock. If you start on Sunday morning, there's a lot of prayer going on even before anything happens. Uh, the children's ministry, of course, praying, uh, the worship team, the uh, prep team, which gets everything ready before we have worship. Uh, the prayer team is here uh, praying for the service, about the service, and so forth. So a lot of prayer going on. The tech team, a lot of prayer going on even before anything happens on Sunday. And, of course, Jason Martin um, is praying. He usually, after a song or uh, two, he's praying. And, of course, Jason, you know, as you uh, preach, there's always prayer involved in the, uh, in the message also. But uh, besides worship day, besides uh, Sundays uh, when we meet, there's also prayer going on every day throughout the community as far as our church is concerned. And uh, the elders, I'll start with the elders. We meet twice a month. And, of course, we're always praying about um, God's will, about God to lead us, give us direction, you know, show us uh, your will and uh, where we should go, and give us vision, and so forth. But one of the greatest joys that we have as elders is to pray individually for you. There's six elders, and we pray for specifically for you by name and uh, for your families and so forth, and we do that every month. And uh, also the leadership team, which meets once a month, they're praying for the needs of the church. So a lot of prayer going on there. And, of course, the prayer team, we get a prayer requests on Sunday, of course, and we get those uh, usually on Tuesday morning. But, uh, and we're praying over those. Those prayer requests go not only to the prayer team but to the elders and also to the staff. So a lot of praying going on there. And that's every single day. But you can also uh, put in a prayer request on the website. You just go down to the drop-down where it says prayer. And as soon as you put in a prayer request, it goes directly to the prayer team, which also goes, to, again, to the staff and, and the elders. And that's, that's happening pretty much every single day. People calling, people telling us about prayer, and, of course, on the, uh, on the website itself. Another uh, avenue of prayer is our community groups. And if you're in a community group, I know you know this. Uh, I'll just give an example of our community group. Of course, we meet every other week. And we have one person who handles all the prayer in our group. That's uh, Penny Smith. And she takes down all the prayer requests for uh, our group. And then uh, she sends those out once each week in between our community uh, group meeting. And it reminds us to pray and what to pray for and who to pray for and so forth. And of course, all of our teams that meet, you know, the meetings are bathed in prayer and so forth. So, and I'm sure, I haven't, I'm sure I've missed something. And of course, all of you the body of Christ, praying every single day. So prayer impacts the body of Christ here at Solid Rock for sure. That's good, Ken. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned community groups because in our community group, we just started doing something a little bit new where 
at the beginning of our meeting, we go over the prayer requests from the previous meeting. And if somebody, if you're there, kind of give an account. And so we started doing that and we did it again last night. It was just exciting to see how God had responded and moved in those situations according to his will. And then kind of set our hearts in the right motion to begin to have community group, um, starting with gratitude and praise. And so um, that's something new we're doing. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm finding in it more and more on a daily basis, or at least a weekly basis, I'm hearing from you either emailing me or you'll come with me on Sunday and say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but on Thursday I was praying for you, or on Monday afternoon I was praying for you. And so it's probably hard to get the full picture of what's happening here in prayer, but um, yeah. I appreciate your leadership in this area. Ken is our prayer team leader. Um, there's a team that meets to, uh, on a monthly basis to be yeah. prepared. Um, could you talk for a minute about, we've already talked about you know, prayer from a biblical, biblical perspective, and we see that it's not just about getting God to do what we want him to do. Um, talk a little bit about how prayer impacts us personally when we pray. What, what happens to me when I pray? Well, you, I had to speak personally because I can't speak for you, but I know personally, of course, scripturally, prayer, prayer does impact our lives because through prayer, we get to know God about his grace, you know, and God expects us to pray uh, and worship him in prayer. So he begins to change our life and kind of chip away at our will, as Jason, you know, mentioned earlier. And we see his will and begin to pray his will. And uh, without a doubt, prayer changes our life. We get this question all the time. I know the prayer team does. You know, is, is prayer for me or is it for God? Well, the more we learn about God, I, you know, I just have to say everything is about God because of who he is and what he's done for us. And through prayer, we begin to see that and we begin to know him and who he is. And I, I like what Jason said. We can pray about anything. You know, in uh, Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Anytime we're worrying, we're worrying about something that hasn't happened anyway, uh, usually. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, bring your requests to God. So, and as we pray, and he grows us. And probably the most intimate thing we can do is to have prayer with God. Amen. Well, let me, let me play Stump the Elder. Oh, I got good. you up here. Yeah, Let's I'm put ready. you on the spot. So that infamous question, if God already knows what he wants to do, why do I pray? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I think about that question and you sent it to me, I thought, wow, this is, <laughs> I just stand in awe, really. And I know that you do, too, that God would use us, you know, to, you read about Piper, mm -hmm. you know what he said, that God would use us to carry out his plan which is unfolding all the time he uses us and he uses us for prayer and to go out on mission just as we've seen early and things of that nature um, I think one of the things I thought about earlier I didn't say this in the first service but I thought about about Moses when we looked at Moses prayer in, in the scripture you know and uh, God said he was going to destroy Israel Moses just prayed the promises of God and uh, God did not destroy Israel because Moses was praying what God had already promised. And I think that's very important for us as we, we look into Scripture. Prayer provokes us to get into the Scripture. Uh, the Scripture provokes us to pray. And uh, God did not destroy Israel. And in Psalms 123, it, t it tells us, or 106, I can't remember the Scripture now, but it tells us that God would have destroyed Israel had not Moses prayed. And I think about my own salvation, you know, and I think if my wife had not have prayed, 
where would I be? But God uses us. He's given us this great responsibility. Uh, I certainly don't understand it because he is sovereign. But this great responsibility to pray, and he answers our prayer and carries out his will. He did a great job explaining that. So, Thank you, Ken, for your time this morning, for your leadership here at the church as an elder and also prayer team leader. Would you thank Ken thank for being up here this morning? Yeah. As we, as we wrap up, I want to encourage you with one thing that, that I learned from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. If you've ever read the, the, the book of Ephesians, there's twice in one letter Paul writes down his prayers for the Ephesians. And that really encourages me to keep a daily prayer journal, to write down prayers um, that I might revisit what God has been doing in, in, in a way that I can give glory and honor to him. That might uh, be some of an encouragement to you. Um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little, bit, a little bit risky this morning. We're going to pray together out loud. And before, you're, yeah, before your heart jumps out of your throat, not everybody has it to participate in this. It's, it's according to how God leads you. And here's what I want to do. I want to I lead us into a time of prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team back up in just a minute, but I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray out loud one-word prayers. Okay? Pressure's off. Don't have to come up with a bunch of prayers. And, and it's only if you feel comfortable and God's leading you to do that. Um, but what I want to do is I want to I pray out together one-word prayers that describe who God is to you who God is to you in this moment or in a situation, who God is to you personally. So I'll just give an example. Your word might be faithful. And so we'll go into a time of prayer. You, as you feel led, will voice that prayer. And in just a minute, I'll land it by leading us, uh, leading us in prayer, and then we'll continue to sing, okay? So let's, uh, let's get ready to do that. Worship team, why don't you guys come on back up? Let's get our hearts quiet for just a minute and think about that question before we even think about whether or not we're going to say anything out loud, let's just think about who God is to us. Who is God to you? 